Hello, I'm Thomas, and this is the KAANP, the Knoxville Area Artists Networking Platform. And here we talk to artists about themselves, the art they make, and where they make it, kind of. So yeah, stick around, give us a listen. Enjoy the show. Active, I... uh played soccer for most of my like childhood. I lived in Minnesota for a little bit, played hockey up there, played football in middle school for like a year, got into skateboarding, so it was all about skateboarding and punk rock for a couple of years. And was on the golf team even in high school. So I, I I didn't take art classes. I took like one art class in middle school and I was bad at it. And then just well, because what, of the what, other stuff, what I was didn't. bad about it or bad. What what did you do that you were bad so at? So you know, Quote like unquote bad. Uh, those sort of stuff you do in middle school. You know, it's like a still life, and it's you know, whatever. And I just, I can, I still to this day am very bad at like looking at something and drawing like the scale or shading. Like those just aren't my strong points. Um, but yeah, so I didn't take art and high school. I had a lot of artistic friends that were insanely talented. And I was like, man, I, I want to do this. And I took an art history class in high school. And then I was like, man, art's really cool. Like, I want to do art, but like, I thought I thought I was going to be a professional skateboarder, like a professional soccer player for like when I was younger. And then I tore my ACL playing soccer in high school. So that, th- That'll put th- a stop to that real those quick. Those dreams kind of died. And when I went to college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. My dad, uh, he brews beer, and he makes his own barbecue sauce, and he used to have, like, a barbecue catering business. And that that is up. strangely similar to my upbringing. Really? <laughs> yeah, my dad didn't brew beer, but a catering company and, and a competition barbecue team and, really? and, and a copywriter barbecue sauce and all that, all the food stuff. Wow. I really grew up. And we should trade some barbecue sauces. Man, I will. We can talk barbecue <laughs> sauce. In another conversation, but we can definitely talk barbecue sauce. All right. So I, when I first went to college, I was like, I'll be a business major, entrepreneurship. Like, I'll help my dad start a you know restaurant one day. Yeah. Kind of my general idea. And then uh, you know, I guess second semester freshman year, uh, I ate mushrooms for the first time. And I had a experience and. Stayed up all night, you know, whatever. Went to my 8 a.m. accounting class the next morning, you know, not sleeping. Ten minutes in, I was like, this is not what I want to do with so, my so life. So the fuck this was strong that day. It was. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I walked out, and I'm pretty sure, you know, as I left that class, I was like, you know what? I'm going to become an art major. I've always wanted to learn how to draw, learn how to make art. I love art, you know, I take took some art history classes, know a lot of artistic people, so I was like, I'm going to I'm gonna go into art. So I didn't start doing art till like, my sophomore year of college. It's been about 2009, I think, 2008, so 2009. did you dive in, like, full-on, feet Oh, first. yeah. I mean, I full-on, just, like, art 101, 102, 103, like, all the art histories. Like, I found the catalog year that I had to take the least amount of non-art classes. <laughs> just, I mean... In hindsight, should have done a little differently, but like I took three printmaking studios like one year, which is insane because studio classes are three hours long a piece. Yeah, that's that's and a lot. To, that's a time commitment and a lot of physical commitment too. But and uh, that was once I got into printmaking. So at first, I was I was going to do media like uh, video art. So 
I knew all these people and like like I said, growing up, growing up skateboarding, uh, we watched Jackass and we watched DTAY, so like we filmed ourselves doing stupid stuff and skateboarding. So like I had some background in it. A lot of people were influenced by that bit of media mm-hmm. and I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't. Because when that hit it it was something. Yeah. Right. For we some reason, grew up in a small town, uh, Oneida, Scott County, about an hour north of here, and like, there's not much to do. So, skateboard and do stupid pranks and film yourself doing it. Yeah, you know, and hope it goes viral in some way. Right. I mean, this was before. Well, I mean, well, YouTube before YouTube, or like the very beginning of YouTube. Yeah. Even. I mean, yeah. I mean, this would have been 2004. Way before iPhones. Way before all that stuff. So, um, well, anyways, got into the video art and YouTube. Like, it was, in my opinion, stuck in the '80s. Like the way they were doing and like the technology they had, and I just it didn't vibe. And like a friend I grew up with, Cole Murphy, uh, he was in printmaking. He's one of the most talented people I've ever met. Brian Peduncle, if you remember him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we grew up together, but like he was in printmaking. I met another friend, Parker, in printmaking. They showed me, and I was like, well, this is, this this is, is awesome. This is the This stuff. is what I want. So <laughs> I, I dove in full into that. So, like I said, yeah, about 2009 is about when I started my artistic journey. So, did you enjoy your formal artistic education, or were you working too hard to enjoy it in a way? Yes and no. So, I. I needed it, because like I said, I you know, took like one art class back in like middle school. I had no idea what I was doing. So I needed that structure and those classes to like teach me where I was, you know, in these classes with these kids who like took AP art in high school. Like, they're like, oh, I did this project already. Like, I want to get into this and that. And like, they're doing incredible stuff. And I'm over here just like, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> like, I was so full of anxiety for like that first year of art school, because it was something I'd never done before and like all these other kids had done it and were art kids and like way above my level so like I don't know it, it was a weird year but I'm glad I did it and then once I got into printmaking you know I just went head first into it loved it still love it that's what I want to do still with my life so so we talking like uh what the, the, the media you want to create now what type of so, like, screen printing. So I've done relief carving, I've done intaglio, I've done litho, I've done paper making, but screen printing. So, like, my main goal is to be, like, show posters, concert posters. Like, I want to be the guy that, like, designs those and prints them. Or, you know, the, the one stop either shop. or, yeah. Like, hey, I can do both, yeah. you know, one or the other if I need to, but. I want to be that guy. So I, I feel like what I've seen of your art is is uh, looked at through the lens of printmaking with how you lay out your colors, your color selections, your hierarchies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, for someone that is uh, at least a little bit knowledgeable about that, you know, if you know how a, a T-shirt gets screen printed, you can look at your art and understand that things that look like this are thought of workflow-wise in this manner. Yeah, and uh, if if you know what you're looking at and you see this, then it's very clear that that is the lens at which you you work or you do your art. Mm-hmm. And 
like I said, it's when people know about printmaking and see my work, like it's a lot easier for them to understand it. Mm. You know, I've been in the live painting, you know, festival art scene. Pretty much everyone there's a painter. Like everyone paints, and like you know, I show up with like a screen print and some markers and highlighters and like coloring the odd work. man out. <laughs> yeah, I'm like <laughs> trying to explain printmaking to non-artistic people sometimes gets lost because you know i'm like oh i printed this and they're thinking i have a printer like an inkjet printer inch ink pr- and like you know i printed it like that and like no like actually i designed it and i printed it out on transparency and exposed it to a screen and you know put that image and ran ink through it to get it onto the canvas and like but when i say i printed it people are like i can see it they're just like oh yeah he didn't make this he just printed it out off his computer and it's like no. <laughs> well, it, there's there's a disconnect. Well, I think the word print is a, a kind of a loaded, double-edged sword of a word because, uh, and I I've I haven't screen printed, but I know I'm very familiar with the workflow, and you know I also have a 3D printer, and you know this inkjet printer sitting next to the couch here. So I, I, there's a lot of things you could mean when you say print, and then sometimes people don't understand that there's a, a very specific workflow that goes into the different formats of quote-unquote print. Yeah, so I always try to say screen print. Yeah. And, but, you know, it's like they still don't know what that means. Yeah. Nah, I try to explain it. And Probably that t-shirt you're wearing right now. Like, you know, people are just like, oh, hey, you know, this t-shirt screen printed, you know. Uh, like uh, actually, this is sublimation printing. Well, example, but, but yeah. you know, <laughs> a lot of people, when you roll up to somebody, they're probably wearing a screen printed exactly. t-shirt. I mean, any graphic t-shirt is most likely, most likely sc- unless it's like, you know, a yeah, it's most likely screen printed. And and if you look at somebody and go, hey, yeah, that shirt, that's what I'm talking about. Sometimes like that tangible connection can really help. Mm-hmm. But there is a we- there can be a weird disconnect when you use that word. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're dealing with people in a show environment, at a concert environment, they're drunk or high or Some whatever. And so, you know, sometimes you can just see it go straight through their brains. You're like, all right, like, I'm not even going to try to explain it to you. <laughs> just tell people. I, you know, and, and I've... I've just told people that I make flips, and I've stopped, you know, mm-hmm. trying to tell them what avenue or workflow is best. Well, because, you know, I have very clean lines, very symmetrical, and people are just like, how did you draw that? And it's like, well, I did. Yeah. And I did in a sense that I made it online, or made it on, you know, Illustrator or Photoshop and whatever. Yeah. Like, I designed it specifically to be symmetrical and perfectly aligned in these certain ways. It's, it's that disconnect is, is really... I guess cantankerous is a good word because you never know how it's going to cross mm-hmm. a, you know a, a person's intellect, especially when there's some degree of messed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just I try to make things as simple as possible when I explain things in that particular scenario. Yeah. But uh, if I get a positive response, then great. And if it just goes over their head, then oh well, at least they enjoy what they're looking at, and I appreciate that too. And then you know if they make it past that step, they're like, "Oh, your colors." I'm like, "Oh, I'm using highlighters," and it's just like, "Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> you're printing stuff out and you're using highlighters? Like, what are you doing?" <laughs> oh, your workflow is something else. <laughs> like I said, it, and I think that's what's allowed me to kind of be in the festival art scene and stuff because it is so different than anyone else's work. And there's room to be different mm-hmm. or strange or weird or whatever oh, I mean, adverse adjective you want to use. Festival there. painters, like, the weirdest people. 
in a good way. Like, yeah, in a, in a great way because I've never met somebody at a festival or at a show that was creating art live at a spot. I did not enjoy the conversation or company thereafter. Very, very few that I've ever met haven't, you know, I've been like, oh, okay, this person, but like I said, mm. outliers. Like most of the time, 99% of the time, like cool as hell, like love to hang out, like just, just that camaraderie. Would happily doing share it together. a beer with any given. Exactly. So the the festival scene has been uh, somewhat kind to me, and I really enjoy it. How? What's your experience with it? It's amazing. <laughs> I mean, I I love it. Like I said, I've been like I said, I started doing art only in like say 2009, roughly, and by 2012, I think I was still in college when I started painting shows, painting festivals, you know, whatever, and. It's really informed my art, like I said, because I was still learning and kind of got into it with once Midnight Voyage started here in Knoxville. It used to be a free Saturday night local music thing. Uh, Brian Coakley and some other people started. And so, yeah, I used to go to that, and then after a couple months, you know, I was like, well, hey, like, this sort of seems like the right avenue for my art, because like your art, it's neon it's glow in the dark it's black light reactive it's it's the perfect environment for it it because you have those lights and those capabilities kind of show it how it's supposed to be seen so you know first i started just kind of like showing my art you know just kind of like not not for sale but just kind of like hanging it up on a wall and after a few times doing that it was just like me and my friend parker were like well let's let's paint this yeah, let's like actually set up and the like make something. The next logical step was like, well, if yeah, we're we had seen it, here, it we might at as well. festival. You know, we'd seen other people do it, and we're like, well, let's let's do that. And then, I mean, from that point on, I mean, it was almost every Midnight Voyage show for four, five, six years. Like we were there, like me and him, or you know, a group of people there. We were there setting up, making art, selling art, doing it. And from there, got into festivals, and you know, it's it's been great. It's been a lot of learning, a lot of sunken costs, a lot of I don't want to say mistakes, but just learning experiences. Learning experiences, <laughs> and uh, you know, and you know, I got to the point where about 2019, 2018, like I, I was consistently successful. Like every time I went out and did something, like. I was selling prints, I was selling paintings, I was selling, you know, meeting people, getting, you know, invited to the next thing, and, you know, like I said, we talked about it before we started, you know, going into 2020, I was, man, I was on a high, I was, I, I was ready, I was, I hit my stride, I thought 2020 was going to be the year, and then, boom. Then Q1. Man, <laughs> shut down, and like, yeah, we were talking about earlier, I mean, I haven't done that in over a year now. Well, I, like I told you, I, I've only done one live painting gig, and it was outdoors in October, and it was not the most pleasant. But I was I was happy to have the opportunity, so I took it. And mm-hmm. if it had been any sort of indoor environment, my ass would have stayed at the house. Yeah. <laughs> so I was I was happy to paint outside, mm-hmm. you know, because not only was the weather nice, albeit a little cold, you know, I didn't have to worry about 
ventilation and the only thing after that was you know physical proximity and social distance just put up a border and be like you can view it from over there just well <laughs> I, I sat up in a corner of the like in front of the stage next to one of the speakers so you know it was very loud and i probably should have worn earplugs but i didn't and you know nobody else was really gonna bother me that mm. close to the stage which i was thankful for but that's one of those learning experiences that <laughs> might have learned a little later than i should have earplugs oh live boy. concerts oh boy have them use them yeah. it you'll you'll save yourself a lot of trouble <laughs> literal headaches like i said <laughs> i mean i've been doing the concert thing for a decade now and yeah i mean i i know i have hearing loss and this year especially my left ear and like it's like man i should have been wearing earplugs so yeah i used to sit up right next to speakers sometimes just full on and no protection well luckily that's the only time i've ever been forced based on architecture to really sit up next to a, a speaker or a rack of speakers, normally in the concourse or in oh, some in of the, the venues. Oh, in the back, baby. Oh, all, all the day. <laughs> all day in the back. Uh, the concourse has a really nice spot. I guess the Miller Mine, did it, do they have a really nice spot for live painting? It's just that left left wall. Uh, I've painted there twice, I think, maybe. maybe. I can't remember exactly, but, it, yeah, the few times we did it, it was just that left wall. So, I mean, it. In my opinion, it was really good. Well, there you go. I prefer to be in the back away, you know, especially if people are trying to talk to you and it's like you can't hear them over the music. So it's yeah. nice to be kind of in the back and whatnot. And then if you want to, you know, you can just run up into the crowd, enjoy the show yeah. for a minute and then come back. It's like this is my jam, take off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been, you know, forced up next to some speakers in some other venues and other cities. And, yeah, it's just like, oh, this isn't, uh, <laughs> this isn't fun. It's like there at this particular I could definitely, like, I was on a stretch muslin canvas that I had made from people that claimed to know who I was and didn't know I was there and shouldn't have and didn't need to and need to do more things like that. But I could see the base moving the fabric of the muslin. Yeah. I was just like, you know what? <laughs> this is probably too close. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I was in Lexington one time. and I forget the venue. It might have been Cosmic Charlie's, like, 3.0 or... I don't know if you know about that venue. It's been about no, four. I, I it's been about four different venues over the past ten years, but uh, it was in like a new building. And yeah, I was like right up front, like stage, speakers, me, like right in the corner, <laughs> like right there, and it was. Uh, well, I mean, at least people could see you, but at yeah, the, no, at the same time, it was actually know. one of my more successful nights I've ever had. Like, uh, sold a collaborative painting. Me and uh, Ben Reddersdorf from Big Dog were working on. Sold some prints, and dude, dude bought the painting before it was finished, and he's like, how much did you sell this painting for? I was like, ah, oh, it's a collaborative. I kind of have to talk to him, but, you know, we're thinking, you know, like 400, whatever. He's like, I'll give you 800. <laughs> okay. Sure. Yeah, okay, okay, yeah, sure, like, whatever. <laughs> like, that's that's one done. of those ideal scenarios where somebody's like, well, I'll give you this, and you're silly if you say no. Right. <laughs> and, I mean, he let us finish it and whatnot, and, you know, we put a lot of time into it. I felt bad because, you know, we spent months after that working on it. Well, you paid eight hundred dollars. I want to make sure it's you're yours. getting you eight hundred dollars worth of painting. Yeah, exactly. You know? You're going to get the the premium version of this image mm -hmm. that I can possibly give you. Uh, well, hell yeah, man, that's a score right there. Good job on that. Yeah. But that was a time I was like right beside the speaker and you know like yelling over the music, like covering, you know, like having this conversation about someone buying art. That's like man, I can, I barely, can barely hear you. Hear you. Like, can, can we go like over there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that can make things difficult for sure. Well, did you ever go to uh, Cider House? What you used I haven't to been be there yet. Well, it well, the concourse used to be the side right. of the house. Right. I was never the there day. during that that iteration of the venue. So 
when we first started painting on the very far right wall where they have like the chairs and stuff now, like there used to be like these risers, the kind of weird step things. And that's where we used to paint and the stage used to be over on the, the right side, like right beside. It. So we used to paint right next to the stage on like this raised platform. Like it was a really cool setup and yeah, once it became concourse, they moved the stage more center, they you know, reconfigured the whole yeah. place and we we tried painting on that like uh little thing they had beside the stage with the steps and the railing on the left. Yeah, like yeah. we painted up there a couple times when they first started, but then eventually I, t- I was just like, we're moving this to the back. Yeah, <laughs> like I it's gonna be way better for everyone if we're just in the back back the, here. The security room is is definitely the spot, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't remember the the lighting guy's name, but he's always been very kind to me when I needed him. You know, if he knew I'm gonna be there, saw me when I showed up, you know. Hey man, do you want me to put a lighting setup back there? Like, do you, do you need blue light? You oh, want dang. red light? Like, what do you need? Which I've always appreciated, and I I wish I could plug his name because I really I really appreciate. Yeah, that. I mean I I've known multiple lighting guys there through the years. They never offered me that. I painted there forever, <laughs> but oh, like I always brought my own lighting. Like I always just said, uh, for a while there, like I did help like run the live art section of Midnight Voyage and. Yeah, I would always show up. I had all the cords. You know, I got there early, made sure everything was plugged in, light yeah. set up. So, no, I usually I usually run pretty pretty bare bones operations when I show up somewhere to paint, and I really enjoy just using the lighting in the building, whether it's detrimental or not. Mm-hmm. Because I don't I don't try to bring any alternate lighting, because I want to paint in the room. Yeah. You know, well, you need to get the color changing. That's that's the one alternate light source that I need. I mean, that's what I've always had to paint because, like you're talking about, that's my art looks the best in that light most of the time. Yeah, when you just flip through the color wheel constantly rotating, mm-hmm. you know, far more entertaining. All the colors, you know, that's when it starts moving and morphing, and that's really more what my, my art's about. It's like, yeah, you see the art by itself, like that's cool, but like, you s- you need that sort. You don't need it, but it. It's, it it's helps advantageous. if you have that color changing light because then you really see what the, the art's about because yeah, all the colors change and they're vibrant and they move and the piece becomes especially alive. if you can uh, you know have an LED light that has the UV spectrum on it too mm-hmm. because then you get all the colors yeah so you know it's just like oh green it's blue oh now the UV comes in and then it goes you know red green green all the rest of the way around the color wheel. Trying to paint in that light is oh very hard. Oh, God, it's difficult. Because you don't know what color <laughs> paint you're holding up or what marker you're holding up. You're looking at the brush like, what did I put on? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's there's definitely times where that has been a challenge, but, you know, I just remember. I try to lay out all my colors on the table so people see the mm-hmm. colors I'm working with under whatever lighting I'm painting in. So, like, if I know what well I just dip my brush into or what cup I'm painting out of, I know what color it's supposed to be regardless of the lighting condition. So I try to stay somewhat coordinated in that way to keep myself mildly organized. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the lighting sometimes is a challenge. And well, that's okay because it's a welcome challenge if you know what you're getting yeah. into. But, you know, I usually paint in the white light and then when I'm stepping away or, you know, going to catch a song or whatever, that's when I'll turn it on so people can see it or I use a 10-pack of highlighters. It's like red, you know, it's the rainbow with, like, a couple extra colors. And, yeah, it's it's in a pack, so it's like, you know, mm-hmm. I know exactly which color I'm grabbing because yeah, it's... Yeah, exactly, because they're organized yeah. in that way. Uh, you know, I usually try to lay out whatever paints I'm using, you know, on the table or on the floor or directly under my easel, so, you know, that's 
out of full order and go through the spectrum in a certain order. So mm-hmm. I know what color I'm laying down and what order and where I'm at through the order. It's just, you know, at some point I ever get confused. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's what you're talking about workflow earlier. It's like, yeah, I mean, I once I get the image printed onto the, you know, I use Clayboard. It's a ampersand brand Clayboard. But it, it's really good for mixed media because it holds uh, moisture well. So, like I, like I said, I use watercolor. Uh, it takes the print medium really well. It takes the markers really well. I've had about a six-year struggle of finding the right canvas-type substrate for, like, what Man, I do. Man, that, that's hard. It really is. Uh, I've gone through so many different things. Like, I used to use a heat gun at one point because I was using – it wasn't the clay board, but it was just these other panel boards from the same company that, like, it didn't absorb the marker well. Yeah. It'd stay wet. So I, I went out and bought a heat gun for, like, a year. Like, yeah, I'd, like, use the marker. Then I'd take my heat gun and, like, dry it so it wouldn't run or stick. And then, like I said, I, that's the hardest part about my art is constantly just for what I want to do, like, what's the best. Because, like, I don't use canvas. And that also throws people off when I'm talking to them about it. They're like, wait, wait, that's not canvas? Yeah. Like, no, it's clay board. And like what's what's that? Yeah, because most people have never heard of clay board. Exactly. I mean, even artists that I paint, they're like they still don't know what it is, and it's like it's like yeah, it's just this white clayish material, but it's really really good for mixed media. It's it's porous, right? Yeah, I mean it's completely flat if you touch it. Yeah. But like yeah, I mean it's made of a clay substrate, so like like I said, watercolor. You know, it really absorbs really well, so it keeps stuff from running as much. And like I said, it it holds. Like printmaking inks, it holds watercolor, gouache, acrylic, marker, like all the pretty much whatever you want to throw at it. That I've tried, yeah, for the most part. Excellent. Uh, I I find myself using a lot of uh, like Hanson art boards that have pre gesso canvas tricks across them already, and th- and those work pretty good, especially if I like put a heavy coat of some base on it, just whether it be white or black or whatever the hell I use. Yeah, I've done canvas, but like like I said, since I. 90% of my art has a printed element to it. I've, I've done a few pieces that are just painting or just whatever, but uh, canvas, it has that rough texture to it, so like trying to print on it, and normally it has some give, like it, you don't get a solid print from it. Right. And like in college, I always used paper, and when I first started the whole live painting stuff, like I was still using like printmaking paper, but it's like I'd have it like clipped to a board or something. Yeah, so it'd and be it's thick. harder to sell and or used to be. I probably sell it now because I didn't frame my stuff because I couldn't afford to back then. It's <laughs> it's silly how expensive that is. Not, I mean, good framing is good framing, and mm-hmm. and it's the price it is because it's good framing. But it can definitely be a, a barrier to entry for a lot of people trying to get started. Yeah, and like I mean, I personally the stuff I frame at like my ha- like show posters I buy and stuff like I don't like. I mean, it's probably better, but it's just it's heavier. You can break. I've seemed to break most glass <laughs> frames I've ever had. Well, the, there are some really good like acrylic and buckling. Yeah, so uh, that's what I try yeah. now, and like they're way cheaper. And like I said, if I was to start framing my own prints again, that's definitely the route I would go. And then like you can frame it up however you want on your own. Yeah, that's not how I'm gonna sell it to you. Right, and uh, presentation at the point of sale is is so up to the the moment and and the artist i mean i've taken things that are just you know raw paper prints and i have a tube ready to go or i have a a bag of rubber bands so i can you know roll it up for somebody and pretty much 
any way that you can display and or then transport i've tried mm-hmm. but having like the, you know trucks ready to go for a person to carry out of a venue is just not appropriate yeah because you're you're already bringing so much to a venue it's like you can't bring so much yeah like i said i, I just do print bags and lately i've been getting like a cardboard chipboard backing and keep them rigid because you know i've had people buy a print by the end of the night i see them walking around with it and it's, it's crumpled up in their hand i'm like Okay, I mean, you paid me money, I guess, so, like, whatever, but it's like... Like, I care, but I should have stopped caring after the... <laughs> it's like, when it became it's like your, it's your thing now, so, like, it's on you, but it's like... Oh, so man. I try to offer people stuff, and I'm like, hey, I'm like, come back at the end of the night, grab it, or, like I said, have a chipboard in it so it keeps it rigid, and you can't, like, bend it and break it. Most people forget to grab their prints at the end of the night. So for some reason. <laughs> for, for some reason. <laughs> So, you know, I usually try to get, like, give me a name and number, or, you know, give me some way to contact you. That way, like, right. show's wrapping up, I'm going to text you or, you know, I'm going to find you. Yeah, exactly. Like, let me make sure you end up at home with this. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, back when I first, I mean, you know, I'd sell prints, and then I'd be like, well, I still have all these prints, and I don't know who bought it. I don't know how to contact them. It's just like, okay, like, I'll hold it, and if I run into you one day, I guess you yeah. can have it. And, <laughs> I, and I, as much as I don't mind getting paid for things, I don't want to get paid for it twice. Yeah, like I would much rather someone have my art than me make more money, you know? Yeah. Like, that's the whole thing. I'd rather people have my art because then other people see it, and, like, that's the whole purpose. Yeah, exactly. Sharing art, it's not, it's not about money, but it is about money, you know? Like, I want to make a living off of it. Yeah, exactly. I'd very much be able to to eat off of this. (laughs) But I'd rather someone's enjoying my art somewhere. Right. Uh, And the myriad of choices that they have to make that happen know, especially in a show environment, are many, but some of them are far more difficult than others. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd, I'd say the chipboard and a print bag is a really good... Well, like I said, that's what I started doing yeah. at the end of 2019 with all those prints I had. And like I said, at festivals, you know, like having them on my table in the art gallery, without a chip, you know, they're just kind of laying there and they get moved around. But like that chipboard, it really helps them like stay rigid and stay easier to flip through. And I mean, presentations a huge part of mm-hmm. the festival scene for, I mean, any art scene, but like, especially at a festival, if you have really nice looking prints with, you know, oh, it's in a bag already. Oh, it has this to keep it from If someone bending. can just take it and put it in their car. Exactly. Then it's good to go. Like, that is the best thing as, as a transportation device or service after the sale to, to get someone to have that at home in the best possible shape. Like, just please put your prints in your car. It's already in a bag. It won't bend. Mm-hmm. Just go put it somewhere safe. On your way home, you'll be happy it's in that bag. Exactly. I mean, I've one of those hard earn or hard learned lessons. Uh, I vended at Wakarusa Festival 2013 or something, and the year that big storm came through. It was, this is my first time ever like being a vendor at like a festival, and it's like, oh no! And I had my canvases, and I got my canvases down, like put it in my car, and like I got my prints put up in my like a box I had for them, but I, for some reason, left them like under my table in the vending booth. And I mean, it stormed so hard that year. And then I remember at one point the next morning, like getting up, walking out. I mean, it was, water was up to your knees at one point. So I got out to like go to my tent to like get something out of the cooler, and cooler's just like floating in front <laughs> of my tent. And uh, but the next morning I. It's like, oh, man, that's crazy. And I see just pieces of my prints just floating on the ground in front of uh, me. I was just like, oh, no. Like, 
pretty much all the prints I brought for that weekend got damaged and <laughs> washed through the rain. Uh, so I was like, all right, don't keep prints there. Keep them in your car. <laughs> you know, keep keep bags on them. Keep this yeah. on them. Like, do this other stuff. There are solutions to these problems mm-hmm. that I didn't know were going to be problems. Exactly. Like <laughs> I said, a lot of lessons learned, a lot of expensive lessons learned over the years. But I mean, oh, they went $1,000 worth of prints. Hey, man, it was a couple hundred dollars worth of prints. That's, that's Luckily, like I said, I had canvases, and I sold those that weekend. So, like, on a net whole, like, I, it was fine. I didn't lose money, but I did lose a bunch of money in, in a very short pe- amount of time. Yeah. The wet man, side note, I really hate how weather can ruin a festival. <laughs> it can definitely get the better of almost everyone. Yep. If you're not prepared or at least uh, – modestly prepared for those uh, like for those type of instances it can really mess up your time oh yeah really mess it up me and my friend brad we were an art collective called inner ascension for a few years where we we had a dome and we like uh, were setting up festival galleries for like fly free fest i don't know if you ever heard of that i have heard but uh, we were the art directors for that both years and yeah the second year i mean it was one of those things where rain and weather just sort of put a damper but we had a dome and that's why we had the art gallery but like there was some issue with the county and they basically at one point were like no music after midnight like they're cracking down and so all these things were canceled you know so originally we pitched the dome like hey we can have a side stage in this dome we'll have an art gallery beside it and eventually like well no we don't need that anymore so just use the dome for whatever you want once they canceled all the music, they're like, hey, can we put some people in your dome? Yeah. So, like, we were running. We had Desert Dwellers playing the dome one night. And Backup Planet and Mrs. Art. And Backup Planet. Yeah, I know, yeah. right? I miss those guys. Yeah, they did a late-night psychedelic set. I was thinking about them the other day, and I was like, daggone it, I will remember the name of this band at some point in the future because I was trying to tell Mariah about it. I was like, oh, man. Like they dress up like really crazy spacemen on stage sometimes, and I could could not remember. So thank you for saying yeah. that. That really that, that jogged a memory. But yeah, side note, they're not a band anymore. True, true. Because uh, Gavin, the guitar player, he had an issue with his ear where he couldn't be around amplified music. Oh man, yeah, that's like, a shame. And I I don't know if he's gotten it fixed. I don't know. I mean, I hope so because I mean he's one of the they most amazing a, guitar players. They put on a ever. real fun show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, they played this late night, like, psychedelic set in our tent that, or our dome that year at Fly Free. And it was, like, one of the best sets I've ever seen that day. It wasn't like, you know, they weren't playing their songs. They were just, like, yeah. jammy, like, late night festival set. But yeah, it was one of those things, where, like, we had a, it was raining. So, like, I'm running, like, pushing water off the dome. Like, Brad's running around, like, holding fans for the artists. Like, the gallery's attached to it. And we're, like, Trying to keep the walls up from that. There's people, you know, flooding in because there's no other music going yeah, on. And, and so we're covered. running security for the dome. We're running water control, like all sorts of stuff. It's one of those things where, like, it was really taxing. It was really exhausting, but I'm glad we did it. Yeah, like, it was a great experience. For for a sense of scale, how big is this? The dome. Uh, it's a. It was a 24 foot. Uh, they call them V3 yeah. domes. It was one of those, so I mean, it was, it was pretty good size, and like, I brought it to multiple festivals over the year. Uh, we visited stages, galleries, all sorts. Of, I ended up selling it just because it was 
took up so much space. Yeah, have you ever met uh, Ralph Edge? Name he, sounds familiar. He is a gentleman that runs around uh, at the festivals in the region and sets up geodesic domes for whatever reason that they see fit. And he does uh, projection shenanigans in, into the domes. Like he will set up a dome and cover the back half of it and then set up the projector. And then it's just a big uh, projector art experience. Okay. I, that name doesn't sound that familiar. But I've seen that sort of thing before, yeah. so I might have you know, crossed his path at some point. I went to a Nebulosity Festival years and years ago. There was not a defunct, but the Nebulosity Festival was the one that put that on that I met out of Brian's house right. six <laughs> years ago. And uh, went down there, and, and he set up a, a, like a 30-foot-tall dome. I don't know the circumference, but it was mm-hmm. a big dome, and he had the back – the rear two-thirds of it covered, and he had a, a projector on the circumference of the dome shooting up at the covered portion with some really trippy psychedelic things. And you could see it no matter where you were on the property, so it was uh, it's cool. really neat. Yeah, the Vision Labs, they used to do a similar thing. They had a big inflatable dome, but what? they had like a sort of fisheye lens thing on the projector. That I mean, it literally did the entire like top side, like oh, the whole amazing. dome. You couldn't see it from outside, but like yeah. you'd go inside, and yeah, there's usually like a DJ or something, you know, playing some music, and you can stand around in visuals, and yeah, it was like immersive experience. <laughs> that, yeah, I've, I didn't know how cool geodesic domes were until I hung out in one. Like, right. obviously, mm-hmm. being uh, you know informed on the photonic solids, you understand how these things work. Mm-hmm. But until you're in one, that's like 20 feet tall, hanging out with you know 30 of the strangers that are now your new best friends, like it really does change your involvement with the shapes you draw on paper so much. Yeah. Which is a really neat aspect of some elements in the, the visionary psychedelic art experience that you get with this. Mm-hmm. It's really, uh, it's fun to be tangibly involved with things that you've drawn a thousand times. Right. And all of a sudden, all there's this thing that's 20 feet tall and people are have hung hammocks and, you know, they're, they're interacting with this shape in a physical manner that is really entertaining all thanks to Buckminster Fuller oh man the Bucky ball he knows what's up that and uh are you we're gonna get real nerdy here are you uh familiar with uh, Johannes Kepler Mm, yeah a little bit so do you know the platonic solids were his model for the uh the orbital spheres of the solar system I did not know dude you need to look this up so uh Johannes Kepler was a very deeply Christian religious man and that informed his views on you know life and the universe and all this stuff. But he viewed the platonic solids as a uh, a key to his understanding the nesting of the planets and their orbits in space. So he said, uh, uh, the further you went out from the sun, the more size came to space and further distance mm-hmm. out of your solid received. And uh, if you were to Google his astronomical model, you will see the nested platonic solids along with everything. And it's, it's um, at, at the point in time where he came up with this idea, it was cutting edge. Oh, yeah. And, and his mix of religious influence and scientific knowledge was really unique in the day because he was extremely scientific, but he did not let his religious views really override his scientific exploration mm-hmm. he really tried to make sense of them both in harmony as best he could and that astronomical model was one of his one of his ways his life's work to really settle those two different arenas of understanding and ecology 
and it's just a very pleasing sort of illustration to look at understanding what he talks about and see how that's very very pleasing yeah i'll have to look that up please look that up Uh, like i said i I know about him and stuff i've never seen that model i mean that's the same thing with like da vinci and a lot of those people from that time i mean they were all about platonic stuff oh yeah that's and i mean science was all about it and math like let's see what uh i don't i don't remember the painter but it was it was a rendition of Creation of the Last Supper one of two, but they have a, a, a dodecahedron just like that as the the ceiling of of the environment in this uh, in this painting and and that particular uh, Platonic solid is one of the I guess the mother solids or more uh, more influential solids in mm-hmm. the depth and that being a, a signal of creation or the origin of life or that kind of thing is a prominent visual piece in the painting and. If you didn't know what that was, you might go, "Wow, why is this shape with legs coming out of it, mm-hmm. the ceiling in this room?" You know, basically, but it, it was just like the all-encompassing ethos of this particular idea in that's portrayed in the painting. That's crazy about a lot of art history and stuff. Like so much of it is like the golden ratio and Fibonacci. You know, all these crazy mathematical things that, like, yeah, now you know are more associated, I guess, with like visionary art and metaphysical and this and that, but they used to be, like, so much more tied to, like, yeah, like, re- re- you know, mm-hmm. very religious people, but, like, this this proves God, you know, because of these solids, yeah. like, mathematics proves God, you know, all this stuff, and you're just like, really? But, and wow. and <laughs> that was the train of thought back in the day, and that has only been expounded upon in both directions, you know, to, to the theological and the, and the scientific mm-hmm. equally in both ways, which is entirely entertaining. Um, I've got a couple of really good books that I'll maybe I'll have to show you on the matter, but uh, it, it's really neat to see how these objects have been represented and presented through history mm-hmm. and you know, Michelangelo and Da Vinci using these things, whether they're complete visual elements in the piece themselves as something that's painted or drawn or items and techniques for structure and composition mm-hmm. that they've used is really entertaining as well because you look at some pieces and you you feel the geometry or you feel there's some sort of hierarchical arrangement there mm-hmm. but you can't really put your fingers on it there's probably some sort of platonic solid arrangement at play in this piece yep if if you if you feel it it sounds kind of like hippy dippy or weird or whatever but there's something about seeing those ratios that is innately pleasing, uh, to, the pleasing to the eye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the golden ratio. Uh, it's there's just something about being human and seeing those things that you know it when you see it. That's just something about how we process it visually that is just innate to being, you know, the cognitive beings that we are. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so interesting about a lot of art history, especially from like Renaissance era and stuff like that. I mean, it's all so based in math, sort of like like proportions and perspectives, and yeah, like I said, using platonic solids as framing methods or you know shapes to draw eyes around the canvas. And like that's one of the things I guess that you know first when I was into art history before I was an artist, like learning about that, like you know seeing how they laid stuff out and grid. Yeah. And like I always liked math and science, like growing well, up. Well, so. perspective and and lines of sight and vanishing points and all that are, you know, those kind of 
spawn from from these less than well they're they're technical but they're not the style of technical drawings that we are accustomed to in a modern sense but you know if if those weren't the bones of that style of art back then we wouldn't become as accustomed to those things now because you need those geometries to mm -hmm. create those aspects of artistic output these days like you can't tell me that vanishing points and 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 things of the like would be as influential as they are if those mathematic styles and, and ways of thinking and workflows weren't what they were then. Mm -hmm. all, all back then is all about trying to reproduce stuff as real as possible. So yeah, I mean, you had to get into like the mathematical side of it. How do you on a 2D surface make something look three-dimensional? Mm. You know, they had to figure yeah. that out. Uh, I, I really enjoyed paintings that involved uh, like interiors and exteriors of structures. Mm -hmm. Like if you're looking through a hallway to an outdoor area, or uh, a courtyard, or you look across a span that involves, you know, multiple items. Like if you if you see people in a town square, and all the scale is dialed, mm -hmm. like there's there's no way someone could have just willy nilly went at that. You know, there's it just doesn't work. No, you can't just like oh I think I'll get it right. Like no, you have to plan that out. Yeah. You have to have grids. You have to have you know all this stuff. And like I said, that's what I'm still bad at. Today. And I don't try it that often because, like I said, with printmaking, I mean, you can do that. But most, you, most of my stuff is pretty flat. Yeah. Like, there's not a lot of depth to it. It's more about whatever the design is and the color pattern. And like I said, when you add that added element of the lights and stuff, you know, that's kind of actually where some of that play comes in because, you know, things start moving and, you know, under the blue light, these get pushed to the background and these come to the foreground. So, that's where my depth comes from in my art. Where, you know, looking at it normally, it's pretty flat, but, you know, start throwing some color changing lights and black lights and whatever on it. Then things start, you know, pushing to the back and coming to the forefront. Yeah, but I really enjoy playing with contrast. I will try to use contrasting colors on top of each other as often as I possibly mm -hmm. can in a way as long as it's, it's aesthetically pleasing. You know, I, if, if I put one color, color, color on top of another and it hits light hits it, I want it to look like one of those colors is a thousand yards away, mm -hmm. and I want the other one to look like it's like it's a gazillion yards away. I really, really enjoy creating that effect, and it can be utilized in a very effective and extreme manner, and sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. And, and some That's what I've learned. Yeah. And, and sometimes when you think, oh, man, I'll put this color on that color and see what happens, sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, when I first started, it was pretty much always a rainbow color. What'd you do? You know, what, mm -hmm. you know, over and over, and then as you know, I did that, and like I used to, you know, print the same pattern multiple times, and you know, do six, seven, eight different, you know, color gradients of it. But, you know, so I started. Normally, first time I do it, I'll do you know rainbow gradient, just straight up, and then I'll do like warm colors for one section, cool colors for the next, and then the next time I'll do complementary colors mm -hmm. side by side to kind of give that play and like I, I need to go back to that I wish because with festival paint and stuff I got in this idea of use the print once even though that's the complete opposite <laughs> <laughs> ideology <laughs> of printmaking yeah, yeah. and so you know in the past couple of years I've been going back to some old old print patterns I've made 
and they're like, oh, you know, how can I bring this back? Or like, let me, let me bring, you know, reprint that, but like completely new color scheme. Like, I need to do more of that. Now, if shows, well, no, I don't want to say if, when shows and festivals and stuff come back, I, I want to do that. Cause I, uh, Papa Dozier is my favorite band. Luckily, we've been able to meet them over the years and know their tour managers and their lighting designer and been lucky enough to paint for them almost all across the country, you know, at least eastern half of the country. And I, I, I've had this idea of I want to go on tour with them whenever that is possible again, but, like, I want to make one design, you know, print it however many shows I'm going to paint for, like print that many versions of it, you know, each night finish that one version. Different color pattern, different yeah. this, you know, leave space in the background to do different sort of watercolor techniques and this and that, but that idea of like, for this tour, this is the piece I'm making, and I'm going to make 5, 10, 15, 20 versions of it, depending on how many shows. I and and it's exclusive it. to this tour, and each date is going to be And yeah, and then on the back, and be like, this was painted on this date for this show. At, at, at this place, at this time. Exactly. Like that's that's one thing I want to do in the future going forward when that is a thing again. Like I said, I want to start what I'm currently working on. Papadozia is playing a show, a drive-in show next month in Asheville in Waynesville, technically. And there, I talked to them. They're allow you know if you have a ticket, they're going to allow you to just kind of paint because it's it's a drive-in, so you get one vehicle and spot per vehicle. Yeah, so if you can use the space that yeah, you're like allotted. So if you want to paint, like, yeah, just set up in your own little, you know, get a ticket. That's really cool. There. I like that idea a lot. Yeah, because I was like, cause I had, they did one last year, and it was a ton of fun. I didn't even try to paint. I was just like, I didn't see the point. <laughs> right. And uh, I used it. <laughs> yeah. So, but this time, I still might set up and paint, but I'm actually working on, I was working on earlier today, I want to make a poster for this. Screen print it myself. I bought a bunch of foil paper last year. Still haven't used it. <laughs> You've seen like a show poster now. They're like yeah. the version, and then here's the foil version. Obviously, the foil version. Yeah, is gonna be cooler. So I bought a bunch of that. So I want to you know, make my own, and you know, I don't want to detract from the band selling their own poster because they always get amazing sellers to do their posters for their shows and everything. Like I said. One of my goal is to do that that way. Yeah. You know, oh, look at this Papadozia poster. Professor Rainbow made it. You know, like if I hit that, you know, I, I can die happy. If, if you hear somebody <laughs> say that and you go, "Oh, that's that guy over there," right? You know, that's that's the thing. And I like to stand back a lot. You know, when people talk about if I'm painting, you know, I'll walk away and I'll see people like talking. About, I'll just kind of stand and listen to them for a while and eventually, like, yeah, that's really cool. You know, just oh. like hear what they have to say and be like, actually, yeah, that's, that's nice. Yeah, I enjoy being like across the bar. Specifically at the concourse, because that building, is, it, it, the room is kind of wide. Yeah. So you can be on the opposite side of the bar from where we've set up to paint and do stuff. And, you know, you can watch people from ac literally across the room walk, walk, you know, walk up to your stuff and just go, whoa, you know, that's amazing. And the physical animation that some people put into it when they just, you know, throw their arms up or whatever. Oh, look at this. Mm -hmm. It's really entertaining. And then, you know, you just slowly make your way over there and there's, you know, four or five people around looking at it saying this saying that and you're just kind of like drop on them and just every now and then like yeah it's cool or you know like just throw something out just to kind of see what yeah. they have to say and then 
And sometimes I won't even tell them I'm the most of the time I don't even tell people I'm the artist. Like I'll just kind of wait for them to leave and then I'll go back to Yeah, them. go over and pick up the brush again. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I I always embrace it. Especially cuz a lot of people I don't want to say a lot of people, you know, introverts and shy people, they don't want to talk to, the, you know, they're too shy to talk to the artist. So, like, leaving gives them a chance to actually get up close and make art because, like, yeah. they wouldn't while you're working because they don't want to intrude. And I prefer that to the people who are just going to get in your ear and talk your ear off. You're like, dude, like, I'm in the middle of something. Like, that's cool to talk for a minute, but, like, wrap it up sort of thing. Yeah, like, I, I hate to tell you I'm trying to work. I'm trying to work. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, people on substances sometimes talk yeah. about the craziest things and they don't often get the social cues exactly because <laughs> so they're so off in after like 12 head. that's crazies it's like come on dude. <laughs> like that's crazy man it's crazy yeah i mean you're inevitably going to run into those instances and you can't really do a whole lot about it but uh no, but it's entertaining. It is definitely entertaining, but at some point, there's a situation that you must handle, or there is no going back. Oh, I mean, I've had so many people knock over rows of easels, like, you know. Oh, man, I haven't had that happen. I mean, <laughs> pretty much only in a festival environment. I don't think I've had it happen at a, eh, maybe once or two, at like a, a concourse show or whatever, but like, yeah, I mean, you know, someone's doesn't know what they're doing, like, tries to go between two easels or something, you know, trips over the extension cord, you know, pulls people's oh lights and canvases, God. and it's just like, I don't know. It's happened to me before. I've seen it happen to other people. Had a lot of weird things happen to me at festivals while painting, but, uh, yeah, that's all. it's never fun. And it's like, I don't know, just be self-aware sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't walk between this uncomfortable small gap with an extension cord in it between right? two people trying to do something. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes they're real apologetic. They know what they did. They're like, sorry. And other times they don't even know they did anything. They just half-ass trip and then just keep walking. Yeah, it's like, ah, oh, okay, cool. Like, now my painting's, like, bent and whatever. Man, at Burns and Festivals are such unique environments. I've, I've definitely seen somebody just fuck shit up and keep walking. Right. <laughs> I have seen it. Like I said, I, I love the environment. I love festivals and, I mean, live music and all of it people and the interactions you meet, but there are the negative sides, obviously. There are the situations where you're just like, that is not <laughs> okay. But I, I don't know how I can further express to you that that was not cool. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so you need to just understand at the utmost that that is not cool. And hopefully you have some friends around that also realize it's not cool and can tomorrow tell you how uncool it was. <laughs> yeah, in hopes that you do not repeat this uncool situation. Right. Uh, you know, luckily most people are in a place where they have friends to tell them that they don't need to do that shit again. And uh, if not, then you and somebody tell two people. <laughs> Man, I have a, a story. I don't know if it's it's not PG. Well, this is not a PG <laughs> podcast, so if you want to lay it out there. It's One of the weirdest story. live painting experiences I ever. Actually, this isn't even, it's happened more than once. But <laughs> this one was the, the worst of the. The naked people situations. Oh, man. <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes there's just naked people, whatever. Sometimes there's naked people that are do some real messed up things. This is the worst I've experienced. Uh, a workout festival, like the band The Works, they mm-hmm. play their own festival up in Legend Valley in Ohio. And, uh, yeah, I was painting one year, me and my friend, and uh, it was 
So them, Papadozo, and Dopapod did a Dark Side of the Moon set. Oh, man. And that sounds uh, great. Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> it was highlight of that year, you know, highlight of my life. There's actually a video on YouTube of it, the whole concert. Oh, nice. I have a brief cameo in it. You can hey. see me in my rainbow lab coat and whatever, like, dancing around. Which is a sweet lab coat, by the way. Thank you. So <laughs> I, that's how I got the came up with the name Professor Rainbow, actually. That was my dad's. He, he's a science, was a science teacher. He's retired. But he had a rainbow lab coat he'd wear, like, green, you know, some awesome. science stuff. And he was going to get rid of it. And I was just like, hey, I was like, let me, let me have that. I'm going to wear it, you know, festivals. And, you know, that's kind of where I started to come up with, because, you know, all my art was rainbow. And, like, this lab coat, like, oh, I'm Professor it's, it Rainbow. It is a very fitting moniker. And, I mean, that was 2014-ish. And, you know, since then, I mean, that's just, there's people that have met me as that and only know me as it, yeah. especially in Ohio. <laughs> Some of these places, that, you know, I can't even go up there without, like, people calling me Professor Rainbow and this and that. Like, they don't even know my real name. I mean, do you do you dress the way you're dressed now on a general basis? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I you're, mean, you're yes and no. You're wearing very colorful clothes Well, right yeah, now. this is actually my art. I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. Yeah. So I met a guy at a festival, Infinite Bit. Uh, he had Infinite Apparel for a while that he got a bunch of different artists and sublimated their art on the clothing and stuff. And I don't know if anyone else ever got one of these. They're, they're not up anymore. But but you wear it. Yeah. Actually, I just found it today. I forgot I had it. I was <laughs> like, oh. I was like, there we go. I'm going to wear this. But I, mean, I generally do wear, like, I'm wearing a rainbow hat. got a rainbow belt. You know, your socks and your rainbow shoes Rainbow socks, yeah. It's, it's been my thing. Like, even if I wasn't an artist, I probably would still dress like this in some fashion. And it, it comes from psychedelics. Like I said, people ask me about my art and this and that. It's like when I first started doing art is when I first started getting into the psychedelic realm. And it's just like that is what I saw. Like, you know, colors became bright. I saw, you know, the pattern, the spectrum, all the time. Most of the time I'm in a venue, so there's lights going yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Tracers and all that stuff. And it's just like that is what I've seen. And that's where I was like, I want to figure out how to make this in in art, like, get this same sort of thing across, so it's like, yeah, I can't, I can't say one way or another if I'd dress like this if I didn't make art, but, like, probably, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I feel like a lot of that's where the, the vision and visionary comes from in, in the art, mm-hmm. you know, context, because I've seen things in my experiences at, at different uh, states of inebriation on different substances, and there are definitely seen I've seen things that have influenced me and my life, my art, how I carry myself through, you know, society and interacting with people that I very much try to recreate mm-hmm. as my own creative output. And if I were to sit here and tell anybody that psychedelics haven't or don't influence my art in some way, I would be lying to them easily. Exactly. And, you know, I, there are times when that conversation is appropriate and certain there but you know if 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 one is to be honest about it and my use of psychedelics has definitely been a major influence on my artistic output it is not by any means the only influence i have that i have in my creative i make a lot of very psychedelic things but you know uh, i i tend to lean more towards surreal influences because i think surrealism and psychedelics go hand in hand more often than not because Mm -hmm. if there's no basis for reality or touch point or grounding element in your work then 
there's nothing for a lot of people to to ease into that image or that idea with. Mm-hmm. That's why, like, I did the cat piece, and I've been trying to be better about using some sort of figurative element that's, you know, like a cat or an animal or, you know, something like, oh, you know, that's an object I recognize to bring them in versus... Color say, blitz crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I do digital art as well. Like, I don't... I haven't made much in quite a few years. I was, you know, it's all on my computer. No one's seeing it except me. But <laughs> I used to do a lot more digital art. And that, I would definitely say, was very visionary art in the sense of that genre because it was me taking stuff I s- you know, experienced or saw in those states and, like, I can make it in that format in Photoshop and whatever versus in print format and stuff. Like, it's just not it's, it's, more it's not the same. Like I said, I tried to do it, but, like, some of my digital art, you know, very visionary, metaphysical, like, you know, way more tool towards that. And I don't consider myself a visionary artist. Like, that's for a small brief moment when I was getting into the scene. I was like, yeah, visionary art. But then, like, well, I was like, I don't really do that. Like I said, my digital stuff did it way more because it dealt with more metaphysical and ethereal. But well said, it also came from Dungeons & Dragons, too, from, yeah, you know, the ethereal plane, you know, all this other stuff from that lore. So well, uh, high fantasy. Exactly. Oh, high fantasy is uh, my, my thing. You know, if if we're going to talk about that kind of ordeal, like this, this mystical thing, the, the realms of gods and demons and, and all that sort of thing, and then you get into, I, I am heavily influenced by um, uh, Frank Frazetta and people that do, that style, like aliens and monsters and okay, yeah. men with swords. Like, if you would see it airbrushed on the side of a van, mm-hmm. I would probably really like it. Like, you know, dragons and Pegasus and aliens. Stuff and, you know, you'd monsters. see on DeviantArt. Yeah, st- stuff like that, man. And, and, you know, it even goes to, like, retro space sci-fi. Oh, yeah. Like, if, if it was made by somebody that drew robots and spaceships and extraterrestrial stuff in the 70s and 60s. It's I a cover of Philip K. Dick or Isaac Isamoth. Mm, yeah, probably. Give it, give it to me. Yeah. And then, you know, that also bleeds into like uh, power metal, you know, heavy metal music like mm-hmm. uh, Rainbow in the Dark, Dio, any any band in that genre that had really crazy cover art and, you know, uh, that kind of context and language in their music is a big influence in the in my creative if you really listen to media like that, they paint metaphorically paint some crazy pictures. Mm-hmm. Like the sword, vivid. like that too. Yeah, yeah. the so I love the sword. I've got an album of theirs sitting right over there right now. Uh, I, I just the imagery that they use to complement their their sonic media is mm-hmm. is great, and I feel like that's a lot of the modern equivalent for some of this stuff from the sixties and seventies. You know, uh, Frank Frazetta is is best known for doing a lot of like Conan the Barbarian. Okay. Kind of stuff. So if you've ever seen some super super muscly 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 <laughs> muscly man, you know, like wielding a sword or an axe, you know, killing some ungodly huge beast and saving some uh, you know scantily clad woman from imminent danger, then you've probably seen his art. Yeah. And and it's always brightly colored, and even if it's like a dark, uh, ominous, you know, like some aura or sense of danger or doom, it's still pretty damn colorful. Mm-hmm. And just there's so much room for 
or color in, in what that band is doing. A variety of content and yeah, I mean, I, I, like I said, I like a lot of sci-fi art, like robot, you know, futurism, I, but I don't create it myself. And I've wanted to, and I've wanted to kind of break into it, but, you know, still in you know, my style. And I think, like I said, I play Dungeons & Dragons. Like, I'm in, like, three campaigns currently. Like, I play twice a week probably right now. There you go. And, you know, so I'm constantly, you know, looking for other people's art to use as tokens. Yeah. For my character and other people's characters and stuff, but it's... I, I just don't do portraiture. I don't do people. It just never interested me. And like I said, when I first did some of that stuff, I was, you know, like I said, I was bad at it. Yeah. Um. So I avoided it. I like I said, I. I would like to do it, but not as my personal art. More as a hobby. Just like yeah. like I said, for Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. Just like oh, here's my character. I drew it. Whatever. But it's not art. I'm gonna put out as like Professor Randall. This, this is a, a representation of my quote-unquote professional creative output. Yeah. Uh, man, Tumblr is a teeny pile of what it <laughs> used to be, but I'll tell you right now, I've seen more uh, representation of this genre of art on Tumblr than I have anywhere else on the internet. Like, mm-hmm. I follow I don't know how many retro, futurist, sci-fi, Outrun, monsters, cyberwaves, oh, like, like yeah, uh, if it if it could have been on the soundtrack or been a cover of anything around when Logan's Run came out, like give me, mm-hmm. and I, it's just so nice. Like uh, the retro future and mild dystopian views just really I don't know. There's something about that artwork that just really captures my imagination. Whether it be the colors or the shapes or the organic forms that sometimes really permeate that style of artwork, it's just really just a lot to look at and, and that's another style like i've been trying to figure out how to adapt into my own version because yeah i mean it's it's just neon colors and geometry basically most yeah. of it you know outrun art's always like a sun like broken up like orange yellow red and like a grid mm-hmm. and like purple and blues yeah. it's just like shoot like I, how do i do this you yeah. know uh, like i said i want to take it and you know assimilate it to my thing I mean, they're kind of working towards it a little bit. It's it's definitely folding different influences into the creative output is is definitely a process I want to take, and I am lucky enough to have the creative freedom with some of the skills that I can aim at moving and have like the uh, the the vaporwave or the retro future, the the psytrance, mm-hmm. like all of those kind of things and their visual identities. I've really tried to throw at some of the media I've created for Andrew and that band. Yeah. And uh, I've I've been lucky enough to pull out some really unique and really fun to look at posters and, and flyers and, you know, little bits of things that relate to extra information that I'm saving that mm-hmm. is going to be going on there. But uh, it's been a good challenge that I've tried to fold into my creative profile as a, an artist and not just someone who creates media for for entertainment purposes. Yeah, I mean, I was, like I said, kind of doing some tests in Illustrator and Photoshop a couple months ago, just like taking that style and kind of messing with it and seeing what I can come up with. And I've started to sort of like freelance a little bit, like uh, logos and shirt design and flyers and posters and whatever. And a friend of mine, he's starting a, or 
he's working on an album with his friend, a band that's coming, uh, I think at the end of this month, maybe next month. Uh, but you know, they contacted me to do their some artwork for them, so I, I made them some logos and you know their album art and stuff. And uh, yeah, I was like, well, hey, I was like, here's this sort of thing I've been working on. Uh, in that yeah, sort of vaporwave, you know, it's a a marble statue on a pedestal with you know purples and blues, you know, hey, that same that sort of great. thing. And I was just like, well, hey, and, you know, I kind of put their name into it, and I was like, hey, like this is just something I was working on already. But how like, do you feel about this? And they're like, cool, because <laughs> like they also we've talked about like once they launch their band, you know, they want to do some live shows and some live streams and stuff. And I was like, well, hey, like I'm getting into animation. Maybe you know, we'll use this and kind of use it as an animation and a flyer for like some of your s- your shows and whatever. Yeah. So like, you know, I don't want to like spoil it since like I said they haven't put anything out yet. But they they're gonna call themselves Stink. Uh, thoughts help. Uh, I don't I don't remember exactly what it stands for at the moment. Uh, but yeah. Uh, and hopefully kind of work with them and do this whole visual thing. Cause that's another thing I've wanted to do for a long time is kind of be the, yeah, the light designer for a yeah. band or something, or, you know, use my animations and whatever. And that I've been lucky enough to know Papa Dozio's lighting design and he animates my art and uses it in their live shows along with 20 plus other visual artists. So like, have you, uh, have you done any play? Have you played with lasers? No. Do you want to play with lasers? Yes. <laughs> That's always the answer. I, so I, I took a theater lighting class in college, like, for, you know, the theater department to mm. learn, you know, color theory about, you know, like I said, how the d- this color light makes these colors change and mm. move and this Additive and that. color and theory and exactly stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they didn't have lasers, obviously, in the <laughs> UT theater department 101 right. class. But, uh, but yeah, it's something that's always interested me, something I've. I, just, I have so many ideas that I think about all the time when I'm, like, doing other stuff that, like, when I sit down to make art, I'm just like, well, do I do thing one, two, three, four, you know, which one do I focus what, on? What idea and, do I pull out of my head today? Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I've had ideas brewing for probably the past decade that are you know, still there. I still think about them. I'm just like, well, one day, one day I'll get there. Or I'll figure it out. I've, uh, I've, I've seen, uh, okay, so let me preface this with saying, you know that in my artwork, I use a lot of glow-in-the-dark elements. Mm-hmm. I very much want to incorporate lasers and glow-in-the-dark panels with uh, geometric patterns and uh, animated geometric patterns. So the uh, Preston, who was on my uh, first podcast or first episode, uh, he is uh, a sound light, you know, pretty much one of those guys that can roll into a room and set up lights and sound and Jack of all trades mm-hmm. people, and he he has a laser that he uses for some light stuff. And uh, he and I sat down last weekend and uh, did a test with a glow in the dark uh, light drawing board. That ironically, my son got for Christmas. That I saw mm-hmm. it, and I was like, "Oh man, this is the perfect analog for the thing I wish to create and do this with." So you know, we shot different colors of lasers at it, and you know, just to see what would happen with the certain colors through the spectrum and uh, shot a couple different animated patterns and stuff like that just to see how it would behave and uh, we came up with some very simple yet very visually pleasing glowing patterns on this board 
and in hopefully in my next uh, full on solo art show, I can make some sort of laser presentation that represents my love for geometry and color with um, the absence of light that mm-hmm. I also play with because you know if you're going to have glowy things in your artwork, you need an absence of light, right? And I think the juxtaposition of all the different lighting scenarios and the absence of it is a lot of fun. You just have to have people that are willing to stare at a glow-in-the-dark board in the dark, right? <laughs> yeah. Which is which, which is I am. <laughs> which is a you special know. crowd all by itself. But, uh, you know, I've noticed that if you track or trace or, uh, yeah, really trace that thing. If you break it, I'll spend another minute. Um, but it, it's one of those things that I look at the board, and I've seen other at the board after a pause in, in the laser game and you can see everywhere the laser is traced on the board. It is just as visually visually pleasing as watching the laser trace whatever pattern across, but then you literally get to see everywhere the laser points mm-hmm. and the pattern that that creates. Yeah, I, uh, there's this um, guy I met at festivals. Uh, he used to go by Baby Glow, I think. Yeah, he always had a tent, and he had lasers, and he did glow-in-the-dark painting and stuff. Similar to kind of what you do. I mean, not... This isn't me, by the way. Yeah. I, I'll tell you about <laughs> this guy. <laughs> but I've seen your stuff, and it's kind of similar. It is. But this, uh, this gentleman, I've talked about him probably the last three podcasts, because, you know, this is a tapestry <laughs> hanging in my living room. It's kind of hard not to talk about. Mm-hmm. But uh, this guy's name is Rob Mack. He, uh, he's in Sydney, Australia, and he is a painter who is a 50-centimeter But, uh, man, this level of intensity and this level of detail and this, this color work is really how I try to push myself in this, mm-hmm. in, in this manner that I make. And uh, I, I very much enjoy it because he's also he's a visual magician that you can directly see distilled into my artwork, and I have no shame. So, yeah, there you go. Glow, uh, glow in the dark boards, and he always had, like, lasers pointing down so you could, like, draw on them and, like, do all this stuff. And, you know, did a lot of glow paint and stuff. I don't think he does any of that stuff anymore. Uh, he does trick shot blackjack at festivals now. Oh my God, what is that? <laughs> I, I've never got to experience it. Like I said, I still follow him online and stuff, but it's like he sets up like a whole like blackjack festival thing where people come and you just like barter and win just like the most random trinkets and stuff. Like I know people that like seek him out at festivals and are like, Oh, I'm bringing this stuff. I'm gonna, you know, bet these. I'm gonna try to get like, you know, he just has, you know, crazy trinkets, and it looks like a lot of fun. But he, when I first met him, he was doing a lot of glow art and stuff. And, you know, that's what I was doing a lot. So then, you know, we became friends. And uh, but yeah, it's very similar with like taking lasers and drawing on the glow boards. And like, yeah, it's really cool to see you actually create something. Yeah. But then once you stop, you still see like the after images, and you know, they slowly fade out and this. And is a lot of fun. So I've played with lasers in that sense, but like it wasn't very low tech. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, the elements of it are crude, uh, as crude as as a laser could be. But, right. <laughs> but, but you know, the the end result and the juxtaposition of it, I think, is actually worth the effort because having a short animation and then a couple seconds to see the pattern that that creates, mm-hmm. and then you repeat the process with a series of complementary animations that end up making something really complementary, right? 
Well, and it's time-based media, so it's like it's not something you have to be there. Yeah. And see, I mean, you can yeah. see a recording of it. It's not but it's not the same. Thing. It's not. It's one same. of those things. It's like you literally have to experience it firsthand. Like, well, you just want to get to the experience. You know, I sell prints all the time. Like, they're still really cool. Like I said, I try to make my pieces look good by themselves. Yeah. Those extra elements that really make a lot of my pieces cool. And like, honestly, I've learned like even with a print, like a paper print, you put like a color change of light on, it's still going to change colors. Yeah. It's going to look good. It's not going to be as vibrant, or you know, you're not going to get the same thing. But you, you get yeah a lot of the same. Like seventy-five, eighty percent of the experience. You won't get like the glow aspect and stuff like you know. Well, that's that's one of the things that uh, really pushed me to push selling my originals is because I want the viewer to have a certain experience because I craft these things to be experienced in a certain way. And if I sell them something or, or, or give them something that isn't exactly the experience I crafted or intend them to have, I don't feel as happy with the product, I guess, because mm -hmm. if I paint this thing and it glows and it shines and I sell you a print, you're not getting the full experience. And, I, and I'm totally happy to sell prints in that way, but it's not what I wish for you to mm -hmm. experience. Uh, that's the dichotomy of it. Artists these days, it's making a living and being commercial versus, you know, your true artistic desires and, you know, whatever. But well, it's it's finding the happy medium to, mm -hmm. to, you know, put food on the table, so to speak. It's just difficult for everybody because everybody's art's different. Like, I know for a fact that I would rather have people buy my originals because that's the experience I wish for them to have. Yeah. But not everybody can afford it or desires to pay what I'm asking for exactly. or even want the, the experience or, or, you know, the experience I'm trying to give them via my art. And that's okay because there are other avenues for them to have some degree of that experience. Mm -hmm. And if that degree of the experience is what they want or what they can afford, then I'm happily, you I will happily provide You get the them. 10 $15 experience, yeah. you know. Which is fine because if that's the thing you get to take home and enjoy, then I'm happy you're taking it home and enjoying it. But to just know that there is more to that than that there is. Mm -hmm. There's definitely more to be had than presented. And and that's why I really try to push the originals. And honestly, that pushes me to create more because once that piece is in somebody's home, then I don't have it anymore. I can't take it places. I can't put it in the gallery exactly. to show it. So I guess maintaining some kind of vacuum helps me create because I know in in my in my dwelling, in my home, in other people's homes, that if I see a blank spot on the wall, I'm just like, oh, God, let me give you something. Let me fill that with my, you know, like, mm -hmm. let let me put something on my walls because this space is empty and I don't like it. The, the vacuum. <laughs> the, I, God, I say that all the time. <laughs> the, but the vacuum and, and the need to fill the vacuum is something that really pushes me a lot, whether it's healthy or not. It's, it's something that happens in my head. Yeah, I mean, I like I said, I largely took last year off. Like, I only thing I really did last year was another mural, the B mural downtown in uh, Stone Alley. Where I, I mean, like I said, I got a new computer. You know, I upgraded my art setups and like got myself in a place to make stuff now. But I really just didn't make much last year. I don't want to say I was burned out because you know I was doing live painting for a decade or so. But I mean, I mean, there's multiple years that. I was painting two, three shows a week, you know, 
traveling, playing shows, going, you know, six, seven festivals a year. And it's like, it's a lot. And it's financially a lot. And so I pretty much always work a 40-hour-a-week job to maintain these habits and stuff. You know, arts always help pay the bills, but it's never paid all the bills. I'll take it back. Rarely. It, it adds a couple times. There's a few times before I got the job at Nothing Too Fancy, which I did the printmaking job that I really wanted. I had got laid off. I used to work at UT in the plant biotech department. That's how I was a field hand, basically. I was out in the fields every day. But I got laid off from that job because of funding cuts and whatever. And I was feeling kind of down. I didn't have a job. And Papa Dozier was playing in Birmingham one night, and I was just like, well, I was like, I'll maybe if I can go paint, or maybe I'll sell some prints or whatever. Like, Regardless, I'll enjoy myself. Yeah, I'll enjoy myself. It's my favorite band. Like, I, I need this in my life. And went, had a very successful night, like 200 for something dollars, sold whatever. They were going to Jackson, Mississippi the next night, and another merch store at the time they were with. It's like, well, come on the next yeah. night, too. And I was like, well, let me think about it. You know, slept in my car in the parking lot because I was like, well, maybe. And so I was like, I'll go down, whatever. Another successful night, like two hundred something dollars or whatever. It's like, this is awesome. You're like, well, we're playing New Orleans tomorrow, like, <laughs> and it, it ended up being their, I want to say twelfth, eleventh or twelfth anniversary show, which uh, was pretty cool because it was like my seventy fifth show, and uh, that that's a lot of shows. I've seen them <laughs> about 125 times at this yeah. point. But, <laughs> yeah, like I'm I said, I've been yeah. lucky enough that, like, 70, 80 of those I've painted for. Mm-hmm. You know, just through how everything's happened. But So I went to New Orleans the next night, made a couple hundred dollars. And I was like, well, I was like, maybe I can do this full-time art thing. And yeah. Drove back to Knoxville the next night, and I want to say Tosh was playing at the Concourse. Drove back, painted that night, sold a bunch of paintings. I had, like, four nights in a row. I was like, well, I was, like, on. I was like, man, art can pay the bills. Yeah. But then nothing too fancy contacted me. I was like, oh, well, printmaking job. Like, I got to take okay, care yeah, of this. Okay, yeah, let's and, go. You know, so I, I stopped, and, you know, I'm glad I had that job. And, like I said, I learned a lot about commercial printmaking and secret, pr- you know, stuff I didn't know that it's helped me in my personal practice. But. There's a small part of me and be like, man, you should have just stuck with the full-time art thing. Yeah. Now I'm back to a point in my art life, life, <laughs> uh, where I'm. That's what I'm trying to do again. Yeah. Because I I do Instacart like grocery delivery right now. It's like my main job. But like I said, I've been freelancing. I've I designed a shirt for a band in Cleveland recently that I designed all that stuff for this local band, and you know I'm trying to do more of that. So it's like I'm trying to do the full-time art thing again. Yeah. Uh. I can't say I've had a spot, you know, or a run where where art has paid the bills, but art has definitely supplemented my income in a oh way yeah. that has been healthy. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, I mean, if I wasn't doing, I mean, it's it's not a side hustle for me, but that side hustle of selling, getting to paint, you know, pretty much every week, or, yeah, you know, every other week for a show in Knoxville or somewhere else, like, has kept me above board more yeah. than it hasn't. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, I work a job and it pays the bills mostly, but like this extra art income has definitely let me pay the bills. Yeah. More often than not. So And th- and that's great, man. I'm I'm glad you've had that experience and been able to afford the stuff now and have it afford you uh the luxury to continue to do that because that's awesome. 
And, and it's the dream. It is, it is the dream. And, you know, there there are nights where I'm just like, oh, man, it's 2 a.m. I, I didn't sleep good last night. But you know what? I went out to a show. I met people. I sold a thing or two, and I made something that I was really proud of. And even if I wasn't really proud of it, I got out of the house. I did the thing. I enjoyed myself. And you never know if those connections you make are going to lead you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was one summer where it was just like, I went to one festival, met someone that, like, got me a spot at the next festival. They got me the spot at the next festival. That, like, yeah. met someone here that, you know, two years later, they're like, hey, do this thing for me. And I used to tour with the band Arpeggio mm-hmm. in Nashville. My roommate that I went to college with, she was, like, their lighting designer. She was a tour manager. And, like, I knew, like, she was cool. And so eventually I was like, well, hey, can I just hop in the van and go on tour with you guys? And, I mean, we went to... D.C., Maryland, all through Virginia, down to Miami, and, like, you know, met people all, all the through way. those. I, like, yeah, like, led to other opportunities down the road. So it's, like, even if you're not, I'm not selling paintings, I'm not, you know, making something good one day, those opportunities still present themselves. Yeah. And that's really what it's about. It's, it's funny how the network plays out sometimes, mm-hmm. you know. Especially in, like, such the festival live art scene. I mean, it's so interconnected. More I travel, you know, it's like, oh, you know this person and you know this person and that, you know, it's like you find out it's all pretty well connected. Yeah, it, it, it just, the world becomes really small. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and that's, that's what makes it quite enjoyable to just sit there and hang out. Oh, man, so we're sitting at like an hour 20 right now, yeah. which, is, which, is a, which is a good conversation. And usually when we're on this side, we're sitting at like 54, 43 minutes. But uh, the, the questions I usually like to ask last are, um, who are your uh, your influences or people you would like to hear in this format? Who is someone you would like to listen to on the podcast? Uh, locally, uh, Curtis Glover. I very much would like to have Curtis on this. I, I like I said I I've been painting with Curtis for seven eight years at this point. Like uh, funny story, Fly Free Festival was his first mural project ever. Yeah. And, like we, me and my buddy Brad art directors, other ones that sort of put him in contact with them and helped him do it. And, you know, now he's the biggest mural artist in Knoxville. Yeah. Easily. Uh, he is actually going to be doing the same event I'm doing later this month, the, the Waverly Walls Art Park. Yeah, I was looking at that. Man, uh, it's it, is it still open? No, the registration closed today. But uh, I'm going to say if you want to ride down there, it'd be a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a buddy of mine that has also been on the podcast. We've got some walls by chance right next to each other. And, you know, Curtis is going to be there. I'm super excited to go. I went in the fall last year. Curtis wasn't able to make it. He was supposed to be there. But uh, he's always there. He has, like, eight projects. Oh, I know. He's, he's crazy busy. But uh, I'm super excited to be there uh, in his in his company with all the other amazing artists. Knoxville's going to show up strong, dude. So damn strong at this event. Mm-hmm. I am so hyped. Um, yeah, I was looking at applying because I thought about it last year, but – Maybe this is just me personally, but, like, I didn't see any sort of stipend. And for me to drive that far and spend all my money on materials, I was like, ah, is this worth it? It's, you know, um, exposure, what, you know, this, that, it's a new place. But it's like, I should have done it. It's a four-hour drive, and there is no stipend. I'll just go ahead and tell you. But That's kind of why I was like, ah, maybe I'll probably, I mean, maybe I won't. Two nights at a hotel 20 minutes away is, I mean, that's exactly what I'm doing, and it's, it's worth it for the experience to me, regardless of exposure, mm-hmm. 
but the event is fun. It's a really nice venue. The art park is a really nice place. Um, the man that owns it and the city that it's in are really, you know, the man in Kansas is really nice. He does a lot for the city, and the town of Waverly is a small town, Middle Tennessee. That I might write down as coming there. Uh, yeah, it, it would be a good time, and even if you just show up for a day to hang out, you know, I think you would really enjoy it. Well, I mean, Curtis, I've been talking to him about sort of going to start helping him out when he needs extra hands and stuff. So I might just hit him up and be like, hey, I'll come lay down your base coats and whatever for you, just hang out. Yeah, man, dude, if, if you can justify being there, please come. I mean, uh, I'll be there. Uh, Nick's going to be there. Nick Shipley, he's going to be there. Um, you know, obviously, Curtis is going to be there. I don't know what other guys are obviously going to be there with me. But, man, people from Florida, people from Maryland, there are people there that were draft riders from fucking New Jersey that drove down to Middle Tennessee to come to come scratch graffiti on a wall in yeah. the middle of the state. Which, I mean, it's not a big town. It's like an hour west of Nashville. It's middle of nowhere, Middle Tennessee. Yeah. But the venue is, is stellar, and it's uh, reasonably wor- well organized for the size of event that it is. And I was blown away by the quality of art on display at the Pride this year. Uh, I, I posted pictures on Facebook and stuff, but I'll show you some here in a minute. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. Such good stuff. And everybody there was just so happy to be there. So, you know, anytime you can get people together for the same reason, they are all happy to be mm-hmm. there for the same reason. Yeah, like I said, I've been looking at a lot of these art residencies and meal programs and stuff online. So I've been working on my resume and stuff to apply to some of those. And like I said, this one sort of just fell off the radar because I kind of have my eyes set on a few other things currently. But I mean, I, murals are definitely not my focus. Like I said, I, it's a new thing for me. It's something I want. Like I want to start doing murals at festivals more. Seems more fun. Something new to do. Another person for the podcast, uh, Megan Lingerfelt. I don't know this person. She she's been doing a lot of murals here recently. So she's the one that redid the Dolly mural okay. across from mine. Uh, she has two or three murals in that alleyway now, like kind of on the on the yeah. sides and stuff. And you know she she's been doing a lot of cool stuff lately. Um, I don't know too many other local artists down there. I used to know a lot, and you know, a lot of us have moved away or this and that. Like I said, I've been sort of disconnected from the live art scene through like the Craigslist and stuff, and Midnight Voids isn't a production company anymore and whatnot. So, well, I think those are two good suggestions. So I'm I'm not gonna you know poke you for a lot more. Well, but if I think some more outside of this, I'll definitely you know, yeah, message yeah, them write it down. Me. Tell I, me. I know plenty of regional. Art. I know a lot of Asheville artists. I know a lot of Cincinnati artists. Well, I'm not. A lot I'm of people out of Colorado and stuff that's too far, but I'm not opposed to uh, talking to some Asheville folks. But you know, I try to keep it a, a bit more local, like you know, uh, in state or East Tennessee in general. Is, is but I know a lot of people that used to live here that have moved away, so there's still an actual connection. Well, yeah, I don't mind that either. You know, if they're back in town and you say, "Hey, let's go have a conversation with Thomas for the podcast," I will definitely make it to where we can sit down and have a fun conversation. So, if that opportunity arises, please let me know and we'll make it happen. Uh, but I think uh, Curtis and Megan. Yep, those are those are two like great said, suggestions. I can give you contact information. Yeah, please do. It's it's really fun because I'll reach out to people and be like, "Hey, so and so dropped your name on the podcast. Would you like to come have the same conversation that we had fun with?" Blah blah blah. And I've had a couple of responses where I'm like, "Oh, geez, I, I, I don't know if 
I mean, and Ev, I don't know. And then other people are like, oh, shit, yeah, let's go. Right. Uh, you know, it's kind of like how I reached out to you. We we never actually met before. No, but, we've uh, been in contact, though. Yeah. Like about a year ago, we were talking about planting for pigeons and smaller shows and this and that. Yeah, we, tr- we travel in similar social circles, but we've never actually sat down face-to-face and had a conversation. So it's good to bring this little thing and actually sit down and do this and that stuff. It is. You know, it, it's it's one of those things that I enjoy talking about as an artist because, you know, anytime I can sit down in a room and listen to people talk articulately about the same thing over and over talking about it, I very much enjoy that. And I don't get a chance to do it often, so. I know. It's, I could it's keep talking for another hour, honestly. Well, but we, c- we can do a part two sometime and uh, and make that happen again. Well, I never finished my story about the workout, so maybe we'll save that. Yeah, we can we can save that. Too. But, uh, yeah, Lance, thank you very much. You are Professor Rainbow with a period in between on the old Instagram. Do you have any other social outlets that you uh, want to talk about? ProfessorRainbow.com. Uh, I have a Facebook page, but, you know, Professor Rainbow. I haven't updated in probably four years. Still exists. Hey, it's there. I, it, I prefer Instagram for my art. I pr- like I said, I have www.professorrainbow.com. That's where I sell everything. I have pictures of everything. Those are the main two. Okay. Like I said, I'm working on, I bought a GoPro last year, and I want to start doing live streams of making art and you know, doing concerts and making time lapses of pieces of, you know, eventually like a Twitch stream and a time YouTube lapses stream. Are great. Oh, I know. <laughs> I love time lapses. I've made a couple. But yeah, so hopefully in the near future, a Twitch channel and a YouTube, but it, it'll all be under Professor Rainbow. Yeah. I'll, pretty much, I can't change it at this point in my life. Like, I'm Professor Rainbow. Yeah, you might as well run with it. It's stuck to you whether you like it or exactly. not. Exactly. And like I said, I, I named myself that. So. <laughs> right. So there you go. Well, Lance, thank you very much. I'm going to play us out. All right. Thanks for having me. That was the show. I hope you enjoyed All the relevant social media and website links will be in the episode description for the featured artist today. And if you yourself or know an artist that you would like to be or see on the platform, shoot me an email. It'll be listed somewhere on here. I'll try to make it plainly evident for you. But uh, thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you next time. was the show i hope you enjoyed all the relevant social media and website links will be in the episode description for the featured artist today and if you yourself or know an artist that you would like to be or see on the platform shoot me an email it'll be listed somewhere on here i'll try to make it plainly evident for you but uh thank you very much for listening and i'll see you next time